Wow. We, we as a team got an incredible time with Ali a few months ago, and his story so inspired us. That was part of our journey to saying we want to support this guy financially and just partnering with him because his story is so unique, and he is reaching a people group. It's a unique people group of entrepreneurs and people that have a lot of what this world desires but are still missing something, and Ali has that, and he is out there doing it. They're having church this morning, and they're meeting. So first of all, pray for Ali, pray for Center Set Church, and then as a part of your year in Christmas giving, know that some of that um, resources are going to go to help him get this thing off the ground and to be able to make this happen and make an impact there in the, in the actual neighborhood that he was born in. And so it's an incredible partnership that we get to be a part of. And I love stories like that. I love it. And today is really going to be all about story. And that's what we're going to be discovering together today. Um, I want to welcome those of you that are at Southeast Campus, you're watching online, awesome. You're at one of our microsites, whether you're in um, Reno or Minden or in St. George. We have people watching. It's great to have you. Let me talk to you about these. Boom. All right? How many of you took a box last week? You liars. You did not. That's why I'm standing up here with these boxes. All right? You walked by them and you thought, nah, I'm not going to do that, all right? Listen, worst case scenario, you put some socks in it, you wrap it up, and you give it to your aunt or uncle, and it's all good. It's a free box, all right? But in all seriousness, these are at all the doors, and we want you to take them. Uh, this is a tool. Many of you ask us throughout the year, we need tools. I'm not, that, I'm not that outgoing. I don't like to invite people if you give me tools. This is a tool where you can actually, if you choose to be incognito, we basically want you to, there's some instructions inside, you can bake some cookies or go to Smith's like I would and buy some cookies and put them in there, put an invite card for the services, and you can knock on the door or hand it to somebody if you want, that's cool. Or if you just want to leave them by the door or leave them in their cubicle, if that's as bold as you're feeling right now, that's cool as well. But we just want to give you a very subtle way to not only say Merry Christmas to folks, but also to give them an invite because um, they may be looking for a place to attend. Christmas is that time of year. And so these boxes are to all the exits. Leave with one, leave with 10. Take 20 if you'd like, but um, they're no good after this week, so we want to make sure that they're in the hands as tools for you to use, so make sure that you take one of those boxes. Well, I love this time of year. I mean, I do. I'm one of those people. I, I love the stories. I love all the songs, at least until I don't love them anymore, which is probably why it's called a season, but every year when Christmas comes, there are specific stories that we look forward to that get told at this time of year, right? They, they, it's, it's only at this time of year when we start to lean in to those stories, and not just the actual biblical story that's the foundation of this celebration, but also fun, moving parts of our tradition. There are so many stories. I mean, it's the one holiday that has just all these, like Arbor Day has no stories, all right? It, it just doesn't. But Christmas has all of these incredible stories, and we're wrapped up in them, right? So we, we do Christmas movies, right? Christmas TV. Many of you are completely immersed in the Hallmark Channel right now. You are? And fellas, I'm proud of you. Way to go. That's awesome for you. You're probably DVRing a Hallmark Christmas movie right now as you're sitting in this place, all right? My wife is crazy. She has like a bank of them. She, just, she records them all week long and just banks those things. My son and I play this game when she starts rolling it. We give ourselves about two minutes to just pick out each of the characters and what role they're going to play. Because if you don't know it, every Hallmark movie is the same movie, all right? It is, the, it is literally the same movie redone, all right? It really is. The other day I saw Danny Glover on a Hallmark movie. I thought, oh, Danny, what happened to your career? I'm like, what, what, what happened there? 
But we love watching, the, we do, we love watching the sappy Hallmark movies with the Main Street and it snows sideways and it's just awesome. Or maybe you're more of a Christmas movie person, right? Every year you look forward to watching things like Christmas Vacation or Santa or Rudolph or It's a Wonderful Life or the best movie of all time, Elf. You love that kind of stuff. And so every year you watch it and it just helps you so much to get into the spirit. But then there's more personal stories. Because all of us have traditions, but we can use the word story, that come around every year. It's the things that you do, particularly to your family or to your tribe or to your group of people that you hang out with. Like for, for my family, we spend a lot of time here. On, especially on Christmas Eve. Like we're here, all those services that we mentioned, we're here and it's awesome. And at the end of the Christmas service a few years ago, it was like nine o'clock on Christmas Eve and we were like, we're hungry, we didn't know what to do, we're not going to 7-Eleven. And so we had this amazing discovery. We went to In-N-Out. <laughs> and so every year now, we get In-N-Out burger, double-double with cheese, grilled onions, and we get our own French fries, which is like a bonus on Christmas Eve. Everybody gets their own. And here's what's funny about this. Here's what's funny about that tradition or that narrative, right? If I invited my family to like go to Morton's or Ruth Chris, they would choose in and out on Christmas Eve because it's part of our story. It's part of our narrative. My wife and I, when we first got married, when I was buying her stocking stuffers and I was moving the cart around Target and just finding random things, I grabbed a bunch of wooden kitchen spoons and threw them in the card and put them in her, in her stocking. And so now every year I buy her wooden spoons and I put them in her stocking. And she doesn't need wooden spoons anymore. We have like, you're going to get re-gifted wooden spoons, all right? Because we just have so many. But it's part of our story. It's the story that we tell, and it's part of the season and what makes it unique for us. And you have your own. You have your own stories that, that reflect that. But there are other narratives that play out, especially this time of year, that are much more subtle that we also need to be aware of today. They're the kind of stories that always surface, and they're below their, their soul level. They live below the surface, but they surface sometimes during this time of year. And you might find yourself actually living out one of these narratives. The first one is the story of consumerism. It's consumerism. And, and that's the narrative that says we... We have to have the stuff, right? We got to have the stuff. And often we, we, we go all out for it. And it's, it's fun. I mean, I like stuff. You like stuff. But it also creates like this unnecessary anxiety and this fear and expectation. And so that's a story, the story of consumerism, that we either participate in personally or we at least watch everybody else doing it as well. So that may be the narrative you're living right now with seven days to go until Christmas. Or maybe for you, it's the story of busyness. It's the narrative of obligation. It's this, this place to be narrative. I've got to be here and there. Or it's the commitment narrative. And right now you're sitting here and you're finally stopping for a few moments. right? Because you've been so distracted by where you are supposed to be or what you're supposed to be doing or getting. It's the story of, of busyness. Maybe for some of you, this next one resonates. You're living out this narrative this year. It's the story of loneliness or loss. For some of you, it's, it's the person that won't be around the tree again this season. Or for some of you, this may be the first season that you've lost someone that's normally present during this time of the year. And so you're going through this season for the first time without that individual being around. And so for you, the narrative that you're telling, the story that you're living 
this Christmas is one of loss or one of being alone, and that can feel very overwhelming. Or maybe it's a story of fear. Maybe it's a story of fear. I mean, there's a ton of, of violence and disruption in our world. We experience that um, in October with one October. And by the way, where's Riley at? Where's Riley? Riley, where are you? Where is she? I know she's in here somewhere. There she is over there. Riley. We are so pumped that you are here today. Many of you guys, many, she's here with her, with her family, and she popped in, and we took a selfie um, before the service. And many of you guys have been praying and tracking with Riley, and just, she, she doesn't mess around. And she, she has gone after it, and so she's just returned back home, and she's going to be, she's doing great. And so we're so glad that you're here today um, and with us. But many of us, we, we hear stories, and we, and we, We've watched Riley and others' story play out in our own city, and now at Christmas, we feel this narrative of, of fear, like what's next, and uncertainty, and, and unfortunately, it overshadows everything. So as we commit to being more present with God this Christmas, I believe we need to begin by asking ourselves the question, even with just one week remaining, what story are we living out this Christmas? What story... Are we living out this Christmas? Be honest. What is the narrative that you are believing? What is the narrative you are choosing today to play out with your decisions, your perspective, your disposition around this Christmas holiday? Because the narrative that we choose to live out and embrace, and and don't kid yourself, we have a choice. The narrative that we choose to live out and embrace will impact what we experience It will impact what we experience. And I'll be honest, confession time here, right? For me, as a professional Christian, right? This is what I do, and Christmas is like, you know, Super Bowl. And for for myself and Shane and our staff and our team and all that, there's a lot that goes into Christmas and what's involved at the church and serving and giving and Christmas services and and all of those. Shane was talking to me the other day. He's going to do... All eight of our services live. So we figured out a way to get him from here to the southeast campus and back for the next service and back in a car to the southeast campus and back here again. And we're, and we're doing all that because it's extremely important. We love it. We are privileged to get to do that. And so that when we say take a box or take an invite and you invite your friend or your neighbor to come or your family member, that you have that expectation that they're going to be prepared for that to happen. And that experience is going to be something where they will experience God. And we love all of that. But here's my confession. Sometimes Christmas for me involves a lot of outward effort and not a lot of inward reflection. Sometimes it's a lot of outward outward effort, not a lot of inward reflection. And you're like me if you wake up on Christmas Day and you're like, what happened? Right? It just zoomed by and you're like, what happened? It's because all of that outward stuff can sometimes take away from the inward reflection. And in the process, we can stop reflecting on the story and forget that the story is for me. Christmas is a story primarily about a God who gives to us based on his love for us. He gives to us based on his love for us. And what's awesome is in this story, God cast regular people into the story that he was telling that would actually be a part of changing the world. God chooses to involve others, just like you and I, in what he is up to. So today I thought we would do something cool. That maybe because you made it in here and it's really cold outside and windy and you don't want to be out there anyway, that we would just pause 
And even though there's only a week left, that maybe we could stop a little bit with all the outward stuff and we could do a little inward reflection for the next few moments today. Because I think God has a better story for us to experience this Christmas than maybe the narrative we're living. And sometimes the toughest stories for us to really live out are the ones we're most familiar with. So I want to take a few moments to do something a little bit different. And no matter what your narrative is or your story is you're living, I believe that the story of Christmas can find you today and reconnect you with God. So I want you to go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. There's some of the Christmas birth story is in Matthew, some in Luke, um, but we're just going to focus primarily in Luke chapter two. If you're on your smartphone, you're on the Crossing app. You can go to YouVersion and you can find it. I'd encourage you to do that. If you have your Bible, go to Luke two and lay it out. But here's what's really cool today. I want you to open it up. I want you to look at it, and then I'm not going to read it. All right? Maybe you're going to read it later. I just want you to have it as a reference point. I want you to have it open, but I want you over the next few moments to hear this story fresh again. I'm going to do my best to tell you the story with a little bit of my add-ins, and I want you to just clear your mind of all the outward things that you need to do, and I want you to clear your mind of all the stuff that seems familiar in the story. I've heard it a million times. I've heard it a thousand times. I want you to, I want you to sit down and try, 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 try today to just listen to the story unfold in all of its nuances as if it's the very first time you've ever heard or experienced this narrative because we're so familiar with the broad strokes of the story, the virgin, Bethlehem, shepherd, drummer boys, Rudolph, three kings, not all that stuff, all right? Sometimes, unfortunately, though, all that stuff ends up making it like a fairy tale instead of a reality tale, right? And so I want us to go to Luke chapter 2, and I want to just begin to share this story with you in a way that I hope will help you reflect again. And I want to warn you that this story is much more gritty than it is pretty, there's parts of the story that they don't write songs about. There's no Christmas carols written about these. And I don't want you to miss it. So here's the deal. The news of God coming to earth was not received as good at first. The news was unplanned. And it was unexpected. Those who were living their lives in that moment were living very uncomplicated existence. Their lives were ordinary. They were simple. They were predictable. Some of us would best describe their lives on a daily basis as boring. They lived in Mary's hometown. And Joseph's work was not lucrative. But it was steady was stable. He worked with wood, worked with his hands. It was predictable. But they could have never predicted what was about to happen next in their story. You see, Mary was already intuitively aware that something spiritual was in the air. After years of infertility, her cousin Elizabeth was now suddenly pregnant. But that's not the entire story. Because behind closed doors and in hushed tones, Elizabeth confided in Mary that an angel from God had visited them to let them know that God was on the move again, that he was in the middle of it, and he was definitely up to something. As we learned a few weeks ago, the silence of God was now broken after 400 years, and this subplot was a sign that God was moving again. And Mary's heart 
began to ponder all the prophecies that she had heard recited in her home from her childhood. And suddenly they began to rush back to her, except this time they weren't just in her head, but they were beginning to find a home in her heart. All these prophecies for Mary were now becoming personal. And then it happened to her. She's minding her own business. She's alone in her room as a teenage girl, reading through this month's copy of Hebrew Teen Bride magazine. (laughs) She's about to be married. And when this angel, terrifying and beautiful, all at the same time, shows up, he speaks to her by name. He tells, tells her not to be afraid. He tells her she is special to God and that the God of the universe was with her. And any doubt that may have lingered about Zechariah and Elizabeth's encounter with God was beginning to be swept away. And then he told her that she too would become pregnant. And the child's name had already been selected. The child's name would be Jesus. The one that the prophecies had promised. The one that all of heaven had celebrated for thousands of years. This would be the one that a weary world had been waiting for. And this would all happen in a very supernatural way. And Mary took all this in, she received it, and she processed it. But this is where the seeming fairy tale feel becomes a bit more reality show, where the Kardashians invade the narrative. Because though Mary embraced this new reality, Joseph, her fiancé, was not so quick to lean in. It wasn't because he wasn't filled with faith. It actually was because he was. He was a faithful man who had placed his faith in the law. And the law said that if a woman was unfaithful to her husband or fiancé, then the wedding must be called off. When he became aware that Mary was pregnant, his immediate reaction was to do what the culture and the law considered to be the right thing, knowing that he would be fine even though she would be scorned and become an outcast. The challenge was that Joseph really loved Mary and he was also really faithful to the law. And that's why we learn that he determined to divorce her to end their engagement quickly and quietly in an effort to spare her as much of the spectacle as possible. So just pause for a moment. Still with me. Look where this is headed. Mary, a teenager, has never been with a man before, is now pregnant with the Savior of the world. And in the middle of this, Joseph, her husband, is in fact ready to leave her, to divorce her scandalous reality TV. But God sends an angelic intercessor and he sends him to Joseph to keep Joseph from hijacking God's heavenly plan. But I want you to sit for just a moment with the accusations that would now be flying around. You can't hide pregnancy forever. So you're pregnant before you're married and the entire community is aware. Keeping in mind that the entire community did not get their own personal angelic visit. 
They didn't get that news. They're not filled in on God's grand plan. And it's usually actually not well received when you start telling people you're talking to angels. But they were quickly married. They wanted to keep it quiet, under the radar. What was supposed to be an awesome celebration probably felt now more like a funeral. And in the midst of this, Their lives are again interrupted by a decree. This was a census, a counting that was declared, and it was forcing everyone to go back to their hometown, which for Joseph was Bethlehem. So their honeymoon would happen in Bethlehem, not an all-inclusive Cancun resort. Now, keep in mind this. This would require an 80-mile journey for them, probably on a donkey, Nine months pregnant. Ladies, it's hard to go to the grocery store nine months pregnant in your car. 80 miles on a donkey. And let's, let's for just a moment, we, we try and we paint these two as saints, but let's walk for a moment in their sandals. There were probably moments on their journey where Mary was frustrated. Joseph, are we there yet? And Joseph probably said some words that he wishes he could take back. They had to kind of clean that up. They had plenty of time. And And the nights that they would stop and would be spent out in the middle of nowhere was not very comfortable. And remember, these are both very young people. It was not pretty. It was messy. It was not pretty. It was messy. And this was the story that they were experiencing. Now, when they finally get to Bethlehem, we learn that they basically move into some stranger's garage. They push aside everything that had been there and filling up the garage, and they find a spot in the corner next to all the junk. And that is where Jesus would be born. No privacy, no doctor, no doula. No epidural, just them. And it was into this that Jesus was born. It was a messy story for them. I mean, come on. Have you been in a birthing room? I mean, it's cold in this garage. It's intense. There's lots of bodily fluids flying around. There's screaming. There's tears. There's animals There's hay, there's dung, there's crap. You ever wonder if God can handle the crap in your life? Be encouraged and be reminded. That's where Jesus' story starts, in the midst of the crap. I know your little nativity scene on the dresser doesn't look like this. All right, I get it. (laughs) Go out back when the dog does his business, just scoop it up and just throw it right in the middle of the nativity. Give people a realistic experience when they come to your house for Christmas. All right? God was born in the middle of this so he can handle whatever stuff you have in your life. But as the story continues, just as they've gotten acclimated, and and here Mary is still just trying to learn how to feed this child and do all those things, Visitors show up. 
There's nothing like just having given birth and visitors walking to, into the room, right, ladies? Hi! You just look like, whoa, right? It was about to get even crazier and rowdier because a group of strangers came stumbling into the garage where Mary and Joseph were. These were shepherds who were the social outcasts in the society. They lived on the margins of society and spent their day talking mostly to animals. But they got their own visit, their angelic army visit, who announced the arrival of God. So if you wonder if God still speaks or has anything to say to you, the God who speaks to people who talk to animals has something for you and will speak to you. When the shepherds saw this, they responded and they ran to the place where the Savior was. And after seeing the baby, then they began spreading the news to anyone who would listen because they were now in the middle of the story that God was telling. Not only was it a messy story, but it now was a personal story for them. And they shared this story of the long-awaited Savior who had come, not just come, but came to their hometown and who had come to save them all. And this is the bulk of the story that Jesus was born into. This is the story that God wrote, but it's hard to find a more obscure birth than that of Jesus. But God makes it so relatable to all of us. He entered into the world in such a lowly way so that he can find you and you can know that he will find you wherever your story may have led you. That's why it's so important today as we begin this final countdown towards Christmas to again place and keep the story in the center that is so important. Because if we lose the reality of this, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. If we're immersed in some other story of busyness and consumerism and fear, when it's, about, when it's supposed to be about this story, that's really unfortunate. Because if you lose the story of Christmas, you will lose the glory that is Christmas. If you lose the story of Christmas... You'll lose the glory of Christmas. If I'm all output and no reflection, if I'm all distracted, if you're all distracted and we miss the story, we will miss the glory. And here's what's so interesting about our world. Think about this. At the, this is the time of year when so many people who really don't have any relationship with Jesus and maybe aren't even ready to do that, they play his story in the background everywhere we go. People who don't even believe in God will play Christmas music in their home and the story of Jesus will be playing in the background as they go about their daily business. In the store that you're shopping in, in the, in the workplace or the restaurant that you eat in. Isn't that crazy? It's like in the background. And I think that's such a metaphor, such a picture of where the Christmas story lives in so many of our lives. It just lives in the background. It's kind of there. We're not really paying attention to the lyrics. We're familiar enough with it that we know it's Christmas music. The first note is hit, but yet it's not really that meaningful. It just lives in the background because if we lose the story of Christmas like so many have, we will lose the glory of Christmas. In our world right now, we could use a better story, desperately use a better story. Look around, you feel it too. And as Christians, we're, all, we're supposed to carry that story. 
We're not supposed to get drug into the narrative that is not God's narrative. We're not supposed to settle for a lesser story. We need to be reminded that the story of Jesus is a story of a baby born into a world just as broken. Hear me today. Just as broken as the world that we live in today. And I know we have this conversation. You've had it. I think we all think the world is as worst as it's ever been. You feel that way? You talk to your coworker, man. It's just the worst. I mean, the world, the situation in the world has never, ever, 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 ever been that bad. Stop it. Like, it's because you've only lived at this moment in history, all right? That's the only perspective you have. It's been bad. When Jesus was born, that world was broken. There were narratives all over the place similar to what we experienced. The world has always been that desperate place. He was born into a world as broken as ours. You talk about oppression. Jesus was born into a world filled with oppression. He was born into a world struggling with racism. And prejudiced. And that prejudice had leaked into the religion of his day. He was born into a world that was divided. He was born into a world that was angry. He was born in a barn. He knows what poverty is. He knows what simplicity is. He never had his own home, as far as we know, or a place to lay his head. He was born into a world very familiar with violence unspeakable acts of violence in his day. Part of the story of Jesus' birth includes King Herod, who got so disrupted by the story of this child being born that he went into that area and murdered every child from two years old and under to try to protect himself. Jesus had to escape this, and he would spend years in a foreign country as a refugee. You don't think Jesus understands what our world looks like today? Christmas is messy. Don't miss it. Christmas is personal. It speaks to you and I. Don't miss it. And I need to embrace the mess and embrace the personal. Jesus is so familiar with our stories. He enters right into the mess of our lives, and he wants to tell a bigger and better story. So that's why a weary world rejoices. Here's what Isaiah had to say, one of those prophecies that Mary would have re recalled. It says this, long before Jesus was, was born, it says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Because the light of God deliberately stepped into the darkness of this world, not by accident, Jesus wasn't born in Bethlehem by mistake. But at that exact moment, God knew what he was doing. And that bigger story that God wrote at Christmas connects with the story at Easter. Because it's Jesus' birth. It's the birth that led to his life, that led to his death, that led to his resurrection, that leads to life for every single one of us. And that's why we celebrate Christmas, because it reminds us at the beginning of a bigger story that is now unfolding. A story that simply put is this way. He came to be with so that he could die for. He came to be with us so that he could die for you and for me. For God so loved the world, it's Bethlehem, that he gave his only son. That's the cross. That whoever believes in him might not perish. That's salvation. But have eternal life. And that's our hope.
Because Jesus knew us so well, he had a moment towards the end of his life where he wanted to make sure that we knew what this story was all about. It's a moment that we do every weekend here at the crossing and we're about to experience together today. Jesus knew that we would be tempted to lose the story. And so just hours before he was arrested and eventually led to the cross, he gathered his followers and his friends together and said to them, I need to tell you the rest of the story. You need to know that I came to be with so that I could die for. And so Jesus not only told the story, but he used props and symbols to make sure we would remember. He takes bread in that moment. And he, and he breaks it. And he says to those who gather around the table, he said, this is a reminder of the bigger story. This is my body. When you see this bread, this is a reminder that I was with you in bodily form. That I came to be with you, physically present with you. Every time you see this bread, let it be a reminder. And then he took a cup. And he said, this cup of juice is to remind you of my blood. And every time this, that you, you see this cup... Be reminded that my blood was poured out for your redemption and your forgiveness. Let this be a reminder that I came for you. That the bread reminds us that he came to be with us. And the, the juice reminds us that he died for us. And as you receive communion in just a moment, I want to invite you to do one more thing. As you hold that piece of bread and that juice, I want to invite you to bring your story with you into this communion moment. What is the story you are living this Christmas is what I want to ask. Maybe you've been living a story of addiction and you need to bring that to this moment and you need to hold that bread and that juice and you need to, you need to say, I'm going to cling on to God's story. Maybe you've been holding a story of fear. Maybe you've been holding a story of anxiety. Maybe you've been holding on to a story of loss and you need to bring that to this moment and cling to God's bigger story and, and cling to what you know is in your heart even though you can't yet see it with your eyes so that we don't forget and miss the bigger story. So as we receive communion today, using those exact elements that Jesus did, let it again be a reminder that God was with us so that he could die for us. Will you pray with me? Father, we just pray right now, in this moment where we receive communion, that you would just help this to be cemented in our hearts. God, during this time of year when you're all, all around us, sometimes, we can be absorbed in it and yet miss it. I pray today that that would not be us. God, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for the glimpses we have of where you're working. God, in our world, so often seems so broken, but yet there is in the midst of that hope. And we've experienced that. We hear that and we know it and we cling to it. God, we pray today as we receive communion that we would bring our stories first and foremost to you and we would hand them to you again. And again, this Christmas season, we would embrace and, in, and, and immerse ourselves in the story that you are telling. We ask this in Jesus' name.